Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. So I followed the ghost of a king with every step I tried to see me on for a trace of the riverside. This is a prank call show now. Hello. Mr. Radford. Hello. How are you, sir? Howdy, Good. Dave. How you doing, man? This is, hey, hey, Brian. This is Stories Are Soul Food, episode 693, Colleen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm actually, that's, I was actually just on your um, uh, podcast app here looking at all the titles. I have to say, in 693, you said? No, I, I have no idea what number it is. Oh, okay. That's uh, strictly <laughs> like, inaccurate. I'm a, I'm okay. a writer of fiction. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, I found out about this podcast four days ago on a, I don't know. <laughs> and how I thought I you it. were a friend and I thought <laughs> yeah. you were a friend. This is terrible. Oh man. I just, you know, it's funny. I just found out about your music yesterday. <laughs> oh, <that's> savage. <laughs> that's savage. I've known about both of you for a long time. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Brian's the peacemaker. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you tell somebody that is close to you <laughs> that you have a like, okay. So I was on the, I was on a phone call with a friend of mine who's, who's a fan of our music is like followed us for, for years. And he was talking to me on the phone about, you know, or just kicking around ideas. And he's like, you know, you should, I would love if you did a podcast and talked about songwriting and your process and uh-huh. all this. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that I was six months into releasing a series of episodes on me writing and my process and <laughs> all of this. It's like, at what point do you just be like, oh, oh it's terrible. Just, just let it go. Well, hey, uh, wait, anyway, I want to, I want to formally introduce you first. Yeah, yeah, we, we just we jumped going. right in. Cause it's like, Hey, it's David Radford, everybody. This is David Radford lead songster of the gray Havens. Yep. This is the guy, the gray Havens. One of my, I'm not lying. Favorite musical groups. There you go. There you go. Really, really like so their music. They're fan freaking tastic. We can say that on this <laughs> podcast. It's our podcast. I also find myself occasionally sending them bottles of bourbon in exchange for musical licenses. Um, <laughs> this is true. Because I really frequently need his songs uh, to go with pretty pictures. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. The Yeah, I mean, really, the Grey Havens is... I mean, it's just you put out fantastic stuff and you have a bone to pick with us first. So he texted me. David texted me while I was sitting in a grocery store parking lot. It was one of those moments when I was a perfectly timed moment for engagement because I was sitting <laughs> in a grocery store parking lot waiting for my wife. Uh, and I don't actually you hadn't texted me then. I think I just saw it then. There was an audio message and uh, I was waiting and there was, an, there was this long two minute message from you com- with a couple questions about a podcast. Uh, episode yep. about movies, which we're going to grind today, and then also a bone to pick about music. So let's let's start with that. Let's yes. start with this. <laughs> let's start with the bone to pick. Okay, yeah. So I, in your most recent episode, Nightmares in Jane Austen, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but such the, a good uh, one. The, such a good episode. The, okay, I, well, I'm, I'm pumped. <laughs> the the intro music has changed, so I, I, I'm starting from the beginning. And I noticed in the beginning that the intro music was epic with strings and horns. And uh, what what I felt was like 
Were they real horns though? Were they real? I don't know, but I text my text to you was so halfway through the season something changed, and I said, uh, "I'm not sure how you guys went from epic intro music with horns and strings at the start, and are now somehow being introed with soft acoustics, glockenspiel, and two guys singing ooh in harmony." Please be ready to please be ready to defend this on the show. Um, And I said uh, I would not. I do have to take responsibility though, because I think at some point. Not being a listener to my own podcast, I did not know what we were. You let it go. We were not <laughs> introing to. Yeah, and yeah. I complained that we had faux Narnia music. Yep. and heckled the production team, <laughs> and, and and they made a pivot that apparently Nate also has not listened to. I have still not listened <laughs> yeah. to, but I did. I did play some Johnny Flynn, uh, the the theme from Detectorists. Yeah, which is a oh, I just watched that series. Such a great show. And, it is. and the theme is fantastic. The yes. little song is great. So I played that. And I was like, this is what I want the yeah. theme to be. Yeah. And then I didn't pay any attention. And But you guys may like to know, <laughs> speaking of bottles of bourbon, I reached out to Johnny Flynn's licensing and was told $3,000 per episode for 30 seconds. Wow. <laughs> so so, so it didn't Brian happen. so bad at this. So, bad so at this. I expect from here on out $3,000 bottles of whiskey. No. Yeah. Hey, I've from... sent you some pretty good whiskey. Dude. No, you have. I'm, the, uh, I'm, I'm here's, here's what I'm going to say right now. This is because you, you criticized our glockenspiel. I want to know. <laughs> Can we please play Ghost of a King? A little Ghost of a yes, King bumper. Hundred percent. There we go. Okay. We'll use 100%. Ghost. We'll use Ghost of a King from now on. We'll Done do deal. Little little uh, Ghost of a King bumper as we go into stories of soul food, starting wow. with this episode. Okay. I'm this so episode, pumped. you hear that production team, Daniel. Daniel, Ghost this is of for a you. King. Pay attention. <laughs> I'm so pumped. And Man, it's, thank yeah. you so much. No, thank you. Um, yeah. There's no bourbon for this one, by the way. <laughs> okay, unless <laughs> unless you show up in Idaho, in which case, I'll, yeah, no, I'll, you're good. I'll pour you the bourbon of your choice. Um, so that I'm actually that, enjoying. That's what I. Right that's now. really what I, I wanted to accomplish. I wanted you to pick that bone so that I could ask for that song. By the way, <laughs> okay. that was this was all a, this was all Deal. a tiger trap. This was a tiger trap. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, back to you. Okay, well, I'm gonna. It's okay if I ask the question that I asked in the voice. Message? Yeah, do it. Okay, so I, I listened to your episode or one of your episodes on movies and so my situation is uh i have a six almost seven year old which is uh, son named simon which is nuts i know it's crazy and as you you gave a couple examples of of questions that you were asking your kids as they were watching movies with you to you know um teach them how to be in a position of authority, I think, when it comes to movies. Yeah, so yep. um, not just taking everything, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, or just as it's told, but but having a, sort of a internal vetting process or a filter that yep. they can put in place for, okay, it, is what I'm taking in true and good and beautiful? And if not, you know, how, how do I think about those things? And I, I heard all that and thought, Okay, I think I think that's really good. The the questions that you gave were, hey, do you like this character? You know, maybe for an intro, like, and if they're struggling to answer, why or why not? You know, or um, if they're still not answering, like, well, I like this character because of this, and obviously, I don't like that they're doing this, and would love the character more if they did this X Y Z. And my thought to that was, you know. How do you think about sort of the dance between 
just being able to be immersed in a story, you know, and then stepping outside of that story by pressing pause on the video player um, and asking a question and then re-entering that as a way for them to, um, yeah, c- consumer or engage with stories. How is there at all a concern the question went in my mind, is there at all a concern about taking away their ability to sit in a story and kind of be enchanted? And, you know, I, I've, I've heard interviews of you and I steal this from you. Sometimes I think you were being interviewed by Joe Rigney um, at Bethlehem. And he said, what do you, what are you trying to do with story? And I steal your answer everywhere I go. And, and one of the things that you said was, I want to awaken wonder. Oh. And I'm not sure if that's still the the answer you give, yep. but is there a sense in which we are I think you know what I'm asking, are we taking away is that does that take away uh to some degree of the wonder that that you you as the you as the filmmaker as the author as the writer are trying to uh evoke in your readers and your viewers and, and listeners, you know, and, and how do you, because, because that's my only fear is, is just the dance between, okay, I, I don't want them to. And it's, it's like, I think I mentioned it in the, in the audio voice memo, it's like CS Lewis's essay on meditations in a tool shed. You know, yeah. he looks, he looks at the beam of light in a dark tool shed but then he steps in into the beams, I don't know, viewpoint, and he, he looks along the beam. And those are two very different experiences. And no one, so one is thinking about the light beam and one is just experiencing it. And I think he ends the essay by saying, you know, you need both. One isn't necessarily superior over the other in life, but... Um, like my, I guess my fear is is something he mentioned in the essay is is looking at a movie or a story as merely a um, something to be contemplated, you know, merely something to be deconstructed or thought more cerebrally about, as opposed to just you know having like that kid heart, wide-eyed wonder, enthusiasm for just being enchanted by a story. For a little while. Yeah. I think, I think I think that question is I think it's a great question. Yeah. And it actually is it's a huge can of worms and it's a huge discussion because it's absolutely not merely a thing to be analyzed and contemplated. Right. It, it's not. Um, but and there's there's so much to talk about here. So we'll kind of unpack it in different directions yeah. and you can you can kick it back and 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 jump in whenever. But uh, basically I think that overall if we train our kids well and wisely, then they will a be a much tougher crowd with a far more refined palette and their appreciation for great art will also be greatly heightened. And so while they won't be swept away by any old Marvel movie, when they are uh, approached uh, with great art, when they do, sit down and watch a great film. Uh, it will affect them far more 
uh, with far more impact than it would have otherwise because there there's so much more amazement like there there is a lot more wonder there because it it has cleared all these hurdles um that that they have that these that these popcorn movies can't and so i think one of the most important things for especially for little kids is to not be purely passive when it comes to consuming art we can't say to our children get into vans with strangers take just take can <laughs> like just take candy from strangers just be passive like mm. just just let it happen to you just let it happen like no none of us want that that's not that's not what we want what we want is for them to be active we we want them to be actively engaged in the creative process we want them to have active imaginations and to be actively communing in that artistic experience and they can't do that if they turn their minds off if they turn their minds off they're just flotsam they're just floating on the waves they're not swimmers in the waves and a swimmer in the waves really knows the power and the force of those waves a lot more than just a stick does you know like it really and so you as a songwriter i mean i think you know the parts of a song you know how to deconstruct a song pretty rapidly and i don't think that that sophistication and I, I'd venture to say that sophistication and your abilities has not made you appreciate greatness less. You know, yeah. when you encounter greatness in a song, like really, really profound musical ability, it doesn't impact you less than it would have if you had not developed all your skill set. Having developed your skill set enables you to be far more amazed and far more filled with wonder when somebody achieves something truly profound that your average person on the street couldn't tell the difference between that and a commercial jingle. Yeah, I'm reminded of the proverb that says it, it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. Yeah. That It's not a king getting deep into something and understanding all of its work actually doesn't remove from the thing itself, it adds glory. Yeah, when to, it's really magnificent, yeah. to explore it only unpacks more wonders. You know, like mm. it just, so I do, but I do agree with you. I really do agree with you that there's a lot of people. And I think in the, in the more academically rigorous, say homeschool circles, uh, you know, classical Christian education circles, we, we can be really educationally minded, academically minded. And so we think when we've sat back and analyzed a, a philosophical element in a piece of art that we've somehow, somehow engaged with it. True. And I think I think that is stepping exactly into the fault that you're that you've kind of cautioned against when you're just stepping outside and trying to dissect a cat. And then when you've you know, you've cut it apart on a table, you think, you know, cats when you've never seen one run up a tree and run out a limb, you know, mm. you've never. Yeah, you've never actually seen that. So I think that there is a real pit there. There is a real trap there that is overly academic, overly analytical. Uh, but when you take when you take your six year old and you say. Just a very simple question. What should he have done? You're not pausing the movie. You know, at the end, you sit down and you say, we just watched this and now you're getting a scoop of ice cream and we're going to talk about it. You're going to activate your brain and we're actually going to, we're actually going to develop the imaginative habit of engagement, of judgment and, and not have you be passive. Like the, the, the consumption of art is not just uh you know you the passive recipient getting tossed in a van and driven wherever this is you having communed with something and then afterwards you're going to actually 
work through it. You're going to process it and you're going to think about it. So when you're little, it can be, you know, very, very little, you know, little baby food. And you're talking about what did the character do? You're just asking them to remember it. Just recall, just recall for me what that character did. What could that character have done? And the, which thing did they choose? They're still very much inside the art. They're not thinking like the creator yet. They're thinking like the character. Like, you know, like what were the choices? What could that character have done? Yeah. For Just, my, for my guys, that brave, was that brave? Like helping them yeah. understand that that was actually a very brave thing to do. And was my, that brave or was that? cowardly right and and just thinking would you be able to stand run back to the monster for yeah. for my six-year-old you know is is kind of the level would that you run at. back to the monster you know, like that kind of like apply it to your life that kind of thing just recall have your memory activated like are you are you thinking about the story that you just you just watched so it's less uh it's less about can you take it apart? Can you cut it into pieces? And can you label it all? Can you tell me that it was nihilism? Or can you tell me that this is, well, this is straight from Kierkegaard. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's more, is your brain on? Are you a swimmer in the sea or are you just floating? Um, I'm reminded every year and Nate, I, I'm sure you remember there are some, some students in the freshman rhetoric class that are, have a really heavy dose of debate and worldview training. And I often hit them with poetry because it's stretching part of their brain that they haven't had to analyze stuff with. I, I mean, I love that they can analyze a worldview, but I often find that they need to be pushed in, in uh, alternate ways of meaning besides the syllogism. So yeah. uh, the other proofs besides just logos, they're also being pushed with character proofs and pathos and emotion. And I find sometimes just what you're saying is that that for them is really good because they know they're argument people, but yeah. but they haven't been pushed in in uh, emotion or beauty um, so far, and they don't or they they aren't quite sure what to do with it. So I think that you're right, though, David. If you if you tried to listen to a song with somebody who constantly paused it, and there's a there's a time and a place for that, where like in a particular classroom setting, but if you're constantly pausing it, versus trying to train the memory. So that afterward, you're saying like, what, like, describe it for me, describe the movements of it, describe the, the progression, the shape of the song. Like, were people active? Um, and I, th I think that that's really, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's really huge. I think that's absolutely huge. And so the goal is for my own kids to, when they, when they hit a, a really good film, a really good book, for them to have a level of appreciation that that significantly surpasses the appreciation they would have had if they were just an average american teenager and so with the film don't look up for example and it's it's funny we have uh plenty of people that i know who've just written it off where it's just like oh it's just this you know climate change anti-right wing like mm, we're in idaho like that's just a lefty whatever you know it's i've i have two kids at least who have it in their top three now who are like that's a, an amazing film and filtered yeah, filtered, <laughs> nudity <laughs> cut. Um, but at the same time, they are not at all blind to various political points or worldview movements, but the shape of the film, the patience of the film, and the way that the faith uh, of one particular character is presented in that film uh, you know, really blew them away, like really hit them hard. And so they see past, they see right past these triggers that have made lots of their friends think, oh, that's just MSNBC. And you know, my kids are, they're plenty Idahoan. They're, they're, uh, 
they're just as theocratic and libertarian as the next crazy <laughs> right wingers. <laughs> but you know, they're it's politically they would be, you know, lovers of the Constitution. You know, grateful for grateful for the nation they live in. Love the red, white, and blue, and the Fourth of July and apple pie like everybody else. But they're not. It's not like they're lefties. But they're not. They're not flinching at seeing some at, at seeing some left perspective. And seeing that perspective, seeing that political or philosophical perspective is not blinding them to the craft and the artistry that went into the making of this particular mm -hmm. story. So because they are more sophisticated, they can see past some of the surface sprinkles that, that trigger people earlier. So it's, you know, it's not to say they agree with everything about it, but they really still are you know, it's a it's a movie that they have now. All of them repeatedly made people sit down and watch, like they've actually like made their friends sit down and watch this. And you know, I'll, I'll have uh, them. They've made promises to other parents, and then they'll be like, "Dad, could you set filters? I'm making you know, I'm making this group watch this in the basement or whatever." Yeah. Um, and it's and I'm like, "Oh, they're still set from last time." You know, like this is something. They really want other people to see the the progression of that particular film. And it's a very, there's so much wisdom in it. There's a lot of strange wisdom in that satire. Um, so I'm wondering if an example of a kid one would be kind of Wally. Yeah. You know, with, yeah, there's a very overt sort of way you could take, hey, the, we turned the planet into trash mm, and bad we, man. Man yeah, is bad. Man is bad. We ruined the planet. Yeah. But if you stopped watching Wally just because you didn't like the opening scene, I, I, I think that would be silly <laughs> yeah um and i think you could also look at it personally i look at it and knowing that those guys planned on making a movie in which there were no people and it was just the robots and robot expressions the entire time it just makes me a little sad because i really want to watch that movie <laughs> like i want to yeah, watch they added the people because like, <laughs> i really do love all the interactions between the robots and, and the cockroach and, yeah yeah and I, i'm really curious how they would have executed that so there's, there's plenty of little things to explore, but I think your general question of, is it a mistake just to overly analyze and become too intellectual and too academic and taking things apart and staring at it? Absolutely. That could be a mistake. And I've seen it done many, many times. Um, and the fallacy of composition is committed often where people take something apart and then identify its parts and think that it is that, you know, they, they've now uh, identified the whole somehow where it's like, this is, you know, this is man is mostly water. You know, it's like, it's that kind of thing. They take a movie apart, they take a novel apart and they think that they've, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they think they've, they know something about the whole because they, they, they've pointed something out about the parts. Um, I'm reminded. So take, I'll go for it. Oh, go ahead. No, you go for it. Dave. I was going to, I was going to say, so take, uh, I loved you guys this episode on Pixar's existential dread yeah, and just just to use this as an example here, so I like the lights turned on for me when I heard um, you guys talk about how these these movies are all dealing with really intense sort of adult crisis themes. Yeah, of of you know being forgotten by your kids, just this yeah existential dread. And okay, so. I wonder then, just just take Finding Nemo as a case study. How your how your questions after the film, you guys are having a scoop of ice cream. How your questions would shift from just having watched that with your seven year old 
or just having watched that with your 12 year old, mm. like <clears throat> to what, you know what I mean? Like to, is there a, a, because the questions you gave in your examples, which were great are, are sort of helping them turn their, their brains on and be an active listener, yeah. you know, just, just recall what happened. You know, what would you have done? Was that brave? You know, those yeah. types of questions. At what point are you introducing questions like, you know, what what was the character arc here? Yeah. What was the director's vision for this? What do you think that they were trying to say with this movie? Those types of more, I don't know, uh, what you would call it, analytical. Yeah. Or I think twelve um, is actually right about where I would do it. Um, yeah. And so I have a twelve year old right now, and she she's my youngest, and with her. And Nemo, for you know, to use that as a concrete example, would be very much like let's talk about this particularly. What did what jumped out at you? What did you notice about the relationship? And you know, what did Nemo learn? What did Marlin learn? And what are they trying to tell you? You know, based on those lessons. Now, you know, contrast that with the turtles. What are they trying to, you know, what are they trying to teach Marlin? by means of the turtles, mm. you know, let him fly so low. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, and, and talk to her about that and call out different things. Like notice, notice this scene and notice that character. And what are the, what are the directors and the writers saying about Marlon with the other characters? And then once we've, you know, kind of picked it up, is it true? Is it good? Is that, is that interesting? Is that, is that a godly thing? Is this a biblical thing? And then also from here, kind of stretch your brain a little bit and be like, how does this compare to their other films? So can you think about their other movies? Have you seen anything like this in their other films? Are you, are you picking up a pattern? Uh, compare and contrast. So what do you learn about this one from the others? And start by what do you, what do you observe in this individual character arc just on its own? You know, Nemo goes where from where to where as a character. Marlon goes from where to where as a character. Mm -hmm. uh, which side characters are important on that journey? What lessons do they teach them? And then at the end, once you've kind of analyzed all that, you'd be like, oh, interesting. And do you think this is true? Is this important? You know, like should Nemo have touched the butt at the right. at the beginning? Uh, should Marlon have been so freaked out at the beginning? You know, I was like, and the movie is kind of just saying they're both wrong, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. both, they're both wrong and they both learn. And so when you take that and you say, okay, so now let's bounce around, let's bounce around in the other, in the other movies. Are there, are there similarities? And they're, you know, Pixar is pretty dissimilar in what they do. So what other stories does this remind you of? What are the characters does this, does this remind you of? And, and who does this remind mm -hmm. you of in life? Like when you look around the world, you know, what does this remind you of? What Bible stories does this remind you of? Does God tell stories like this? Like, do you see this in the world? Yeah. Um, there's all, any, anything that you can do to kick the walls sideways out in their imaginations and help them be, you know, start making lateral connections and start seeing patterns that mm -hmm. way creatively is, is really good. Yeah. If you, uh, well, go for it. No, I was going to ask. I was just going to ask what were you going to say, Brian? Oh, I was going to. I was going to add. Um, you know, mine are all nine and below, so I don't feel like we're quite at that stage for yet. 
you know, um, it is still the more simple questions, but when you start looking at it with the full on literary analysis, you're looking at if art is what makes us human in a sense, both Marlon and Nemo are reacting because they've had something really terrible happen, you know, which is something the kids gloss over, you know, the loss, uh, it starts with loss and that's what kind of kickstarts. And the fact that they've both lost somebody is what sort of leaves them needing to change. And you can kind of go that route, but like I said, I, I haven't done that for my guys. You know, it's been much more simple. And I had to, this is, this sounds terrible, but I think it's really important when they're 10 to 12 and, and even 13, it's really important that they establish this pattern of discussion and wrestling with this with you. And it's fun. It's it's mm-hmm. way more important that they do this and you kick the walls out sideways and that it's enjoyable and they try to make these connections and they try to find all the Easter eggs um, and find all those connections between this film and the other film and the book they just read and and uh, Bible stories and God stories and other stuff. It's more important that they go on that hunt with you and that you enjoy it together than that they do it correctly or find the right answers. Now you want to, mm-hmm. you want to move into finding the right answers, but if you're unleashing them and they're trying to find, you know, maybe there's 700 possible things and they find three and it's like, okay, that's a great first, that's a great first step. Like we, you obviously have room to grow and, and you're going to keep going. What you don't want to do is be affirming lots of random incorrect things. It's, it's totally fine to be coming up short as long as the experience is enjoyable and they're starting on the road. What you don't want to do is start validating lots of like false projections, you know, where they, they're connecting things. You want to push against any place where they're stretching or they're overstretching or the, you know, like that's, that's going to be an impulse, especially 12, 13. And you know, those, those younger years, I, this was just like this other situation with, you know, Icarus, and it's like, well, um, I just, you just read that in class. So I understand why you grabbed that, but let's talk, explain that to me, like push it, like mm. put them on the spot, make them work for it. That's good. Then, yeah. Cause I'm then, te- you're always tempted to be yeah. like, yeah, good job. That's good totally job. right. <laughs> and, then, and then be like, I don't know about that one. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't buy that quite. You know, it's like, mm. it's, it's, it's good to not let them just think that every answer is correct, but the hunt is correct. Like it's not an F it's not bad job. It's not C minus. It's like, no, we're, this whole thing is correct. This whole wrestling thing we're doing, this whole hunt we're on is correct. This is growth. This is pleasure. This is us having a meal together. Like this is us communing over an artistic experience together. And that is correct. That's soul food. That's what it is. We're eating uh, and we're feeding our imaginations. Now, so you kind of, but you do want to push against it. So it's not every answer is right, uh, but you don't have to find every right answer. They don't have to find every right answer. You don't have to find every right answer. You just have to start eating together. So, you know, imagine being a family where somebody's telling you, you guys should have meals together. And if you overly stressed out about the quality of the food the first couple of times, They'd be like, you know what? Actually, it's the sitting down and the breaking bread together that's really the most important thing. Doing that with gratitude and enjoying that communion together is is so much more important. And it will grow. It will go somewhere. Like it, you know, it'll continue to progress. So I think it's really important for whoever's moderating, you know, dad or mom or older sibling, to kind of provide some resistance. You know, and not let older sibling just be snarky with that resistance, but to provide some resistance. Every answer is not right. 
but the whole experience is pleasurable for everybody. It's pleasurable mm. for everybody as we all hunt for these things together. And that when you go ahead, oh, go, go ahead. When no. you um, when you are having these discussions, am I right? And th- I mean, the way that you've sort of talked about it is the the communal. Let's all sit around and discuss what we just watched after the film. Are you ever interjecting? You know, as you're watching the film together, are you ever sometimes? Pause but, and saying, but, but pretty okay. pretty rarely. It's that's very rare. There's some, okay. there's some times that I'll do that, but it's when I think it's way past their, uh, maybe not way past, but it's a little past their level of difficulty right now to, to pick up on. And I'm just, I want them just to see it. I'm not explaining it. I'm just like, Hey, notice that. And then I'm going to, you know, and I keep going. And then later on, then later on I'll be, you know, we're done. I'll be like, Hey, so that thing I told you to notice, what was it? Do you remember what it was? You know, and then. What do you, what do you think that was? What was that about? You know, why was that there? Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll kick around. And so actually even there, um, I've done that on like a second watching. So take it, take a movie like I am legend actually. So with I am legend, you know, you watch this scary with, with some, you know, young teenagers. Um, I don't remember if it's got filters or not, but I really like the, I really like this movie. I showed it to, um, I, in, in a theater, I showed it to my son's junior high birthday party, uh, all guys and the number of guys who in, on a big screen, big 28 foot screen and the number of guys who had their hoods up on their hoodies, cinched tight, <laughs> hunkered solo. It was for many of them it was the most terrifying film they had ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of them were trying to mask some tears uh, at different points, awesome. and I, was, I felt very proud. That's great. Um, <clears throat> it's it's a it's a great film, and when better you just, than the book too. I will just oh, yeah. point out when you watch when you watch that film, there's things that most people are just going to miss. They're just going to miss it, and so I have I have pointed them out on a second watch with with my kids, where it's like, okay, so right here, pause. What are you looking at? What do you see? I can just move on. And it was more like they'd already seen it. We'd already discussed it. We'd already gone, already gone through it. And I wanted to show them the kind of thing that you have to awaken yourself to. What so are some of those things? Stuff that's out of focus and swinging on a rear view mirror when somebody's regaining consciousness in a car. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so the first thing he sees regaining consciousness in a car is there's a cross swinging on a mirror. You know, it's like it's the, it's the very first thing that's there. And it's like, he's coming to, and the only, it, and most people, it's such an intense scene. Nobody's thinking, Oh, this matters as a symbol. Right. And, but it does the way it's set up. It matters as a symbol. This is this, you know, this regaining, um, and there's, there's multiple reinforcements of Providence. Like just Providence is just stamped over and over and over. And again, through that film, Providence and grace, um, the cross, there's a little, you know, a little prophecy. The kindness of God just gets reinforced. There's an overt argument between your main character as an unbeliever and this woman who saves him as an insertion of providence, uh, who's maintaining that there is a God and he's looking out for us and everything else. And then she, the film debates that. Yeah, so a good, a good movie postulates a thesis, and my kids know this, and then debates it. The film, the film debates it. And so you'll have different characters with different perspectives and the film kind of wrestles with their different perspectives and then 
frequently one comes out on top. And so the very, the very end is more obvious with I am legend as she discovers the city that she's absolutely believed in and that he did not. Uh, and this gate is open to the city. And the first thing you see in the distance is this white church, you know, sitting off in the distance. And there's been all these echoes of crosses and mm -hmm. you know, prophecy and so on through the whole film. So it's, it's all there, but it's the kind of thing that when you have uh, existential peril and threats and, you know, dearly beloved, but dying dogs and zombies and, you know, terror and all these things, you miss it when you're 14, when you're 15, you're like, you just, it's so visceral, yeah, yeah. you know, it's so visceral that you're going to, you're going to fly through it. So that's the kind of one that I would, I would hit pause and say, notice that because mm -hmm. I know your heart's pumping right now. Like <laughs> and also if I'm doing that with a, a younger, a younger teenager, you know, a 13 year old, I would do that to cut some of the, cut some of the tension anyway. I would do, I would do a little bit of the dad mediation of something like that. Cause that's, that one was like letting, letting a kid sip your whiskey. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty intense. It's, it's a more intense film. So, um, well, to that point, how do you, how do you, do you navigate? I mean, take that I am legend, junior high kids are, you know, with their hoodies on or sinking low in their seats. <laughs> how do you navigate when to introduce or push themes or images that your kid isn't particularly comfortable with yet? So my son is fairly sensitive to yeah. villains who right. are malicious. Not so much nature shows where like a tiger is taking down a deer or anything like that. It's villains who are malicious yeah. and evil in their actions towards someone else. Right. And so... Uh, what are some ways that you found helpful to discuss villains and evil actions to your kids in fictional stories? It's a little bit different than um, stories that happen in our world where you can or, – or is it different? Like, it, like if something goes down in uh, a fictional world, you can't immediately go to the Bible and say, well, God wasn't cool with this necessarily if that story – they worship like, you know, there's a whole different yeah. mythology there. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you think through that? So that's actually, I was just talking to my kids about this because we were, we recently podcasted about nightmares. <laughs> we were talking about um, the Jane Austen one actually, right? We were yeah. talking about yep. um, and I was talking about one of my big dad bets where I made my son uh, fire the shotgun and quake. Um, he's 20 now and he's in college. And after this podcast, he very he cracked up at the dinner table and he was like, I remember that so vividly. He was <laughs> he was maybe five. And at 1 30 in the morning, I made him play a first person shooter video game with me because he was just being beset with night terrors. Um and so I I downloaded this game and made him just pull the trigger, shooting monsters. Like you push the button, just pull the trigger. Um, and then we did that for a little, but it was funny. I was like, what did you like? That was a big dad gamble way back in the day. And I remember being a little sweaty that it might not have been the right one. Um, but it's, it's tough. I mean, you want to navigate it with wisdom because all of our instincts are to protect, right. Mm. And shelter. So if you've got a little guy who's really sensitive to villains, what you want to do is you want to make sure you don't show him any stories that lie about villains, uh, kind of in a, so like really in a sneaky way where and we have a lot of shows that do this where we give villains incredible godlike powers yeah and so in, in an adult you know an adult film this would be like jo the joker 
where it's like, man, this guy's omniscient. He's everywhere. He knows everything. Oh, and then it just turns out that he's wrong. Man is basically good. <laughs> you know, it's like it's um it's just terrifying. You know, he's he's every he turns out he this guy can plant C4 in a hospital in two and a half minutes. He can plant C4 in every single room. You know, he's he's everywhere, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he knows everything everywhere, and he's just really, really malicious and brutal. We have little kid versions of that where we, and, and Christians historically have given Satan way too much power, like way too much cred. Uh, and so you want to be careful not to have stories that over, uh, over empower the villain um, and make the villain way more interesting and way stronger and, uh, and more overpowering than the, than goodness, you know, where darkness is just so daunting. And we do this at a pretty young age. Voldemort is an example of this. You know, if you're really handing Harry Potter to eight-year-olds, which is, you know, what it was, that first book was designed for, that's, it's kind of, man, that's, that's, uh, that's stressful right there. Um, and I'm, I'm one who loves a good villain. You know, I, I really do. Um, a good villain is essential to a story, but you want goodness. You want your Aragorn character, your Gandalf character has to be every bit up to it every bit in that weight class um you know where there's just there's no hesitation that you're you as a as a reader especially as a young reader or a young viewer have no uh qualms about hitching your wagon to that guy mm. you know you're not just lost at sea in terror i know you're with you're with gandalf yeah i mean when you aragorn know. shows up at the prancing pony. That's yeah. a key moment where the hobbits have just failed over and over yeah. again. And it's like, oh, finally, we yeah. got this dude. Yeah. And this guy's, man, he is tough. You're with you're with Aragorn now. And then you're with and you've got Gandalf, you got Aragorn. So it's not like, oh, we're set, we're in no danger. But man, you have a trusted, an absolutely trusted shot caller. You have a trusted guide, right? You have so you don't mind. The the reader really is a hobbit in those stories. The the kids, the readers, we're hobbits. And we're along for the ride with Aragorn and Gandalf. We're not meant to relate to Gandalf and Aragorn. We're meant to rest easy in their boat, <laughs> to rest easy in, you know, in their caravan and to really admire them and look up to them and trust them. Now, we, we follow along the story. We really, really sympathize with the story and the, the quest and the journey. But I mean... The ruin, the wreckage when Gandalf falls, that's one of the reasons why that's such a big deal when Gandalf falls with, with the Balrog is because we we're, we feel really lost. But even then, we still have Aragorn. So you want to you kind of watch those stories for those little guys. You know, like, do they have, is their, is their most imprinted memory, is the, is the person they truly admire, the one they're, they're hooked up, you know, to uh, powerfully, uh, yeah, is he up to it? Is the hero up to it? Not just the hero, but the hero's guide. Is the hero's mentor? Is the hero's guide up to it such that they feel safe uh, on that team with that general? Like they're they're on the right team and they, and they know that they're not outclassed. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're not outclassed in this combat. So we in modern storytelling, we have a fixation with evil. We have a fixation with death, and so we really do tend to over fascinate on the many, many skill sets and the, the virtual omnipotence of the darkness. 
And so it becomes very difficult for little imaginations, um, you know, to, to really navigate that because they have nothing to, to hang on to, but maybe a lottery ticket success, right? Um, maybe we'll get bailed out by Powerball. <laughs> they don't have, uh, they don't have a path laid for them, but like, no courage, nobility, bravery, sacrifice, and that's what it takes and we'll win. Goodness triumphs. Goodness. This is what, this is what we do. And this is what we'll win. So it's, um, I, I don't know if that helps, but no, as, I don't, I was just, yeah, it is helpful. But as he ages, as he gets a little older, you also want to look to empower him more and more and challenge him with stuff instead of don't try to just shelter him from stuff, but try to find those things that will stress him out a little bit, you know, that will actually push him and then just be there with him and go through it with him. Yeah. Well, with the with the three stages of value that you guys mentioned, your uh, yeah. my next question about okay, so you have technical value. How well is the thing done? How well was it written, acted, shot? Yeah. All of that, and then you have response value. You know, how does it impact me for good or bad? And yeah. objective value. How, how does God think about it? And you're are you saying that just because you can have a poor response value to something? That doesn't necessarily mean that you need that you should stop watching it. Or uh, yeah, sometimes, but it, it can mean that you should stop now or for the time. Uh, right. Or in this context. So there's there's times when um I'm trying to remember when my kids were younger, uh a little bit younger, we went through the Harry Potter movies. And I had I had some real contrarians in my house. Let's just put it that way. Shock. Okay, that's shocked. Shock. I'm shocked, Nate. <laughs> um, that I had a couple of contrarians in my house. So people would be surprised to know that I made I made children read Harry Potter in my house. Um it was assigned. <laughs> and they <laughs> and they enjoyed it, you know. But they were they had classmates who were so into it that they just kind of locked their knees and were like, whatever, <laughs> I'm not mm, gonna do this. Yeah. But when we watched the movies, and they also were not asking to watch the movies, we watched the movies, we did it of uh, I saved them for summer vacation when we were together. Uh, and actually I think always at the lake, it was kind of funny. We chipped away at them, I think over two years where we had one week up at the lake and we watched them at the lake in the afternoons, like in the day. Like I was like, you know, the, my kids were young enough. My younger ones were young enough. I was like, we're going to do this daylight hours. We're going to watch these. And then we're going to go outside and the sun's still going to be up. And we're all going to, you know, we're not going to go right to bed and we're going to all have lots of conversations about it and laugh and play and go swimming. And, and then we're going to have lots of time, you know, to process afterwards. We're not going, we're not just, I'm not just going to hit this to my kids' imaginations and tuck them into bed. You know, it's like, it's, and you're off on your own paper boats in the ocean. Um, and so there's, there's times like that where it's like, this is going to push them a little bit, but I'm going to try to be wise with where I position it. So in terms of that response value, you can say not now, not at midnight, not, you know, we're not gonna do this in the dark, not with the 10 year old, not with the eight year old. Um, you know, I've got stuff that some of my kids watch and I'll have, you know, my two older girls will watch a show and their little sister doesn't, you know, and they're chipping away at it and I'm talking to them about it. We're having conversations, but the 12 year old is not watching that show. You know, she's, she's working on something else. Um, and I think it's really important to kind of differentiate like that. And I'm not going to do it all perfectly, but I am absolutely going to try to do it with, with wisdom, um, mm. you know, as we march through. And I also, I mean, with the older kids, especially, I try to 
be careful about not over filtering. So I try to start turning filters off. So, um, and not all of them, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm not ever turning the nudity back on. Um, but you know, there's, there's aspects of language and things like that, that I know they're not going to approve of or that they don't like that I, I turn back on because I need them to have a certain level of resistance. Like they have to have a certain amount of, um, calluses and resistance. To, yeah. Cause their to first, the their first coworker is not going to have those right. filters. So, so because my son's going to play baseball and his teammates are, you know, right. they're going to run their mouths and I need him to, you know, not, not be just melting down like a bubble child. You know, he needs to have an immune system. So, um, it's not cause he's tolerating it. It's because I need him to have been like, Ooh, and shocked. And we, we talk a little bit and this is what we do when people talk like that and so on. So there's all sorts of variation of wisdom and, and not now, not yet. Let's try it now. Let's try it today. Uh, my mm -hmm. wife and I have lots of text exchanges where she'll send me a title with a question mark and I'll be like, yeah, not quite yet. You know, not, not just yet. Or no, let's do something with all five of them today. I, that maybe with the older, you know, the older four, but not with the, not with the younger one. There's all sorts of variation. Um, as we navigate it. So I think it, that's all part of being active and having your brain turned on as a parent too. <laughs> like it's, and do the extra Google to know what's in there. Check your filtering services as a mm -hmm. dad. Um, I know the temptation to not have those subscription services to the filtering platforms. It's like, I don't want to have, I don't want to have to pay for that. Um, but just, you know what? <laughs> Suck it up <laughs> is generally how Sorry. I feel. It's like, oh, I just, I'm going to pay that extra pay that extra, um, whatever it is now, seven ninety nine a month in order to be able to, you know, open up the doors to more content and more discussions and more growth, um, mm -hmm. as a family, more communion over art. Cause there'd just be a ton of things we could never, we could never discuss. I've been watching the the show turn, um, with my kids, which is a war for independence spy show. And we've been kind of chipping away. And that's just well that was my next question. I mean, what are TV shows or movies that you've enjoyed watching with your kids that had the most maybe interesting or engaging dialogue as a family afterward? Stranger Things was great. Um, that one was really great. And that one pushed uh the 12-year-old definitely. You know, like that's you know, that was an afternoon watcher. We were not doing that on Friday nights, we were doing that, mm. you know, weekend afternoons. Um, but there was a there's a lot of conversation around that. Uh, Chernobyl, uh, was one arrival. Chernobyl su surprises people that we watched, um, arrival, uh, as a film was one that actually resulted in a, a ton of conversation. I already mentioned, don't look up that one. There was a ton. And also there's a ton of stuff that we just do where it's like, this is communion, right? They were sitting down to a meal, right? We're not all, it's not always like, let's push you children. Let's push you. So uh, we're going to watch Flyboys, you know, we're going to watch fun World War One movie. And then we're going to talk about World War One and the strangeness of that historical period. And, um, you know, and things like that. Sports movies, you know, Hoosiers. There's, there's, there's plenty of shows that are just like, man, that was a good meal. That was just a good meal. And we're going to talk about the characters and the character arc and what was beautiful about it or what was resonant about it. Um, and then there's other things that are, that are a little more heady you know, that are, re that are reaching a little more aggressively children of men. Um, my older kids all really enjoy no country for old men. 
Uh, they they all really liked I Am Legend a lot. Um, but we're again, all these come with, um, you know, they they all come with the comment that, you know, heavily filtered. I'm actually going to open up my phone. I keep a, I keep a list, a notepad whenever I think of a movie. Uh, to try to can you send me that note after we're <laughs> off this call? <laughs> no, no, I won't. Uh, <laughs> Cinderella Man, you know, Gladiator, uh, those are up there. Edge of Tomorrow is an example of like a popcorn movie. Last of the Mohicans, King's Speech, Stranger Than Fiction, Master um, and Commander, Master and Commander, Finding Neverland, Woman in Gold was a, actually a really interesting one. Conversationally, mm. just you know, post Holocaust, uh, legal fight. You know, it's like it was just. Hmm. A, a kind of a brooding drama it's not they they really they want to sit down and have oftentimes a really funny action comedy like let's have some fun let's have a fun meal and chat or let's have a show like turn like i mentioned a spy show and well plenty of filters there and let's watch something that's got this suspense and complexity uh that that goes but then i'll every now and then i'll i'll shock them with something like uh, the royal tenenbaums and they'll just be like what was that <laughs> was, like that children was, was Wes wesley anderson <laughs> and, and his and his ethos um but they actually really did enjoy that one um so on mm. the on the edge of like scary or things like ghost in the darkness okay these man-eating lions hunt for the wilder people they just really really uh loved newer one was free guy that's available cleaned um one they hated a lot that I love is baby mama. <laughs> they just didn't want to think about, they didn't want to think about childbirth at all. Oh, and I was like, you know what kids, you were right. That, that was much funnier for your mom and I, that was, that was, that was hilarious for us. Cause we went to a birthing class and that was the funniest movie ever after you've been to a birthing class. But this was not funny for children. That was a dad whiff on that one, but it was really funny. The prestige uh, is another one, but these are all things that skew towards my older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my teenagers, Moneyball, Seabiscuit, uh, social network. And that one, we talked a lot, uh, with social network. We talked about the, um, the way Fincher, we, they have not watched a lot of Fincher, but the way Fincher made this as a, f- a film about serial killers. So is it, it's, he, it's structured like it's about a murderer and it's about the murder of West. Is that with Tom Hanks? Uh, social network. No, that's with, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. And oh, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. So that, that kind of thing. Then there's plenty on here that I, we've not all watched because I don't have filters for them. Like I can't find the filters. So I just have them there and I constantly check to see if filters have come up and they, you know, if they haven't, uh, Amistad is one, for example, uh, they've seen the last samurai, um, lost in translation doesn't have filters, but it's an amazing one. I keep going back and forth on once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, cause I really admire the film, but I think they'd be mostly bored. Mm. You know, so, I just watched that. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's for my older kids. Uh, my older three older, actually two of my older three have watched Nightcrawler as part of a independent study, which is an interesting, very academic, interesting one. But again, not something I'd do with the, the rest of them. Um, so there's, I mean, the swing kids, another historical one uh, is, is way up there. Uh, there's, there's a ton. And then there's things like man on fire. I want to show a man on fire, but that one's still not got filters and I need, I need filters to, to get there. Um, what about after you watch a movie, just you and your wife? I mean, are you 
talking about the movie afterwards in in any kind of similar way or is it more just you know what we developed these sort of we have a pretty strong um and we have a, a pretty strong dialect <laughs> a pretty strong yeah. a pretty strong shared dialect at this point um okay. so it's you know it's uh we love to watch stuff together but there's definitely things she wants to watch that i'm like really we're gonna do okay fine we'll do this <laughs> And then I can enjoy it. I'm going to engage with it. Uh, we just watched the Gilded Age of the show. You know, we chipped away. Um, mm. And I enjoy that as a, as a you know, a, a piece of artistic construction, you know, the attempt there. And it's and so we're talking a lot there about performance and sympathy. And we spend a lot of time on the technical side because she's so close to a lot of my work and my conversations around production and mm. and casting and relationships and that kind of stuff. There's a lot more that we that we talk about on the technical piece. So from sets and production to casting and directors of photography and, and those things, we'll, we'll end up spending a lot more time there. Um, than, I, f- I find those characters, those character moments though, do tend to come up where you think, wow, when that person did that, that's very real. We've seen that here, here and here in our lives that, that I feel like yeah. with, yes, with Christy, that's what comes up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. When, when it's like, I know who that person is. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, or when you say that's not a real person. So yeah. we have, my wife and I have a few big artistic disagreements, um, but really only one left, I think, uh, maybe two, but um, she still likes the novels of, of one and Rand. <laughs> um, <laughs> I cannot abide them, but I've only ever almost, I've only ever almost finished one. So, but I don't actually know that she likes them so much as that she likes the memory of having liked them. Um, but uh, there's, and then East of Eden, we both love Steinbeck and she likes East of Eden. And I don't because mm-hmm. the character, because there's what's her face is so fake. Um, the villain. Yeah. I already, I block her name out. What's her name? Um, I want to say, Callie, something, something, some, just some, nope, I'm some terrible it up. woman. Yeah. Uh, the terrible woman in East of Eden. Um, she really, I mean, Steinbeck's a genius, but so we have that disagreement. That's about it. Uh, the rest of the time <laughs> we're, we're pretty much in alignment as we, as we work through stuff, but most of the time we're both pretty tired. And so by the time we have a chance to watch something together, um, it's like almost going to sit on the couch and, you know, I might have a drink and she might just sleep. You know, she could just, you know, tuck in under my arm and sleep. And afterwards, she'll be like, how was it? <laughs> you know, if it's especially if it's something that I have to watch, like it's something I have to watch for work, then, you know, that could be how it goes. So, but it is, it That's is helpful. really interesting because we have, but my kids are so spread. It's really funny because we've spent so much time watching and talking about, you know, Pixar and watching and talking about little kid movies and I'm busting out, you know, old school, like old classics and, you know, showing them North by Northwest. And we just showed them candle shoe, which was kind of funny (laughs) (laughs) and doing that kind of thing. So it's really funny to me now that I've aged them up into this more intense space where it's like, well, I'm, you know, my kids now, I talk about my kids, my son's home from college right now. I'm, I'm watching movies with, uh, you know, mostly with 12 through 20. You know, it's like mm. I'm I'm watching with 15, 17, 18, and 20. So when I when I rattle off, um, you know, movies that are a little more um, rough around the edges, it's like, well, I've got to, I have to kind of 
accommodate for the 12 year old and figure out how we're filtering or working around her and making sure that we're still engaging with her level, um, you know, with her cousins and her friends and that kind of stuff. But when it's a 17, 18, 20 or wanting to watch something and wanting, and they're, they're all feeling frothy and wanting to be mentally challenged and engaged. They're all looking for that. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's really get a chunk of meat. Let's really, let's really work through something. Uh, then it's like, man, should I call? What do I do with what do I do with my youngest right now? Mm-hmm. Um, like, do I call my sister? Like, she can she can go watch, you know, go watch something with her cousin right now, or what do we? Do? She still really wants to be at the group though. So we try to, I try to find those things that are like mid mid ground family moments that we can all hang out and watch together, and we still do a pretty good job. Um, Dune was probably the last one that was like all of us together consuming something new and weird and strange um and i really enjoyed the conversations after that one (laughs) but this is it is really it's really interesting i think that the journey of it it's it's terrible to sound like such a relativist but i think the journey of it is the most important thing (laughs) and that they and that they relate to you as their partner on this road you know that they that they are thinking of you as somebody that they go on this journey with as opposed to whatever social media commands them to have watched next. And that's, I think that's where it's most dangerous as they get older. That's good. And so, uh, the real, the real win here, David, is that we got to talk to you a, and that we scored a sweet song new soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> let's go. Ghost of a King on the road. Man, it was, Fire it was burning. so good. I'm good to hear your thoughts on this stuff. I think about all the time, but I'm just like, what do I do here? And it's Um, funny. You have a six year old, right? You said six, almost seven. Yeah. So, you know, you have all the time in the world. Don't worry. They grow up slow. They grow (laughs) up so slow. Don't worry. He won't be 15 in a heartbeat. I promise. You're going (laughs) to be sarcasm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be watching Robin Hood for the rest of the your life. Yeah, you're yeah. going to be watching. Yeah, exactly. Robin Hood <laughs> and Little John running yeah. through the forest the rest of your life for sure. It is. Um, when do we when do we get new music here, David? I'm impatient. Uh, so <laughs> I've actually got. Um, I know we just got new music. I want. Yes. I want new new music. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I'm currently starting to write for the next album. We have plans to start recording in October for another full length album. We'll probably, you know, the first song from that album will probably be close ish to the, to the first of the year. I'm looking at 15 titles on sticky notes on my wall right now for stuff I'm chasing down. And, uh, what is in my headspace currently that I, I think the album might lean towards this could be totally different in six months, but just the tension of being a human being (laughs) in an increasingly, digital space Mm. and how do you navigate that just as a human, but also as a believer in a way that um, leads to an abundant life and interesting and clashing clashing with modernism here a little bit. I mean, is the album going to sound entirely like Radiohead? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did our last album sound like Radiohead? No, I'm just saying that that theme, the theme, oh, that oh, theme especially, just sounds like you yeah. could you could go down a little Radiohead. Yeah, yeah, totally. David, for our listeners who 
if there are any who have not listened to you, where should they start? What album besides yes. the one that's at the front of uh, the Stories of Soul Food Pod? You know what? There, Ghost of the King seems to be the best entry. It's a I great gateway drug. <laughs> yeah. So, go. Ghost of the King is an album we put out in 2016. You can find it everywhere music is. And uh, this this latest one, Blue Flower, was a basically C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Uh, the theme of that set to music and did a podcast. So we have a podcast on, I might try to talk you guys in on letting me um, publish this on my podcast as well, but we, we have, yes, nice. We'll, uh, (laughs) we have a podcast called the gray heavens podcast. And we did, we started it with just, you know, diving into song by song breakdown from the last album, blue flower. But um yeah, that's what we're that's what we're up to. That's what we're working on. So I'm I'm actually heading into about a three month stretch of writing where I'm off the road. Nice. So yeah, and um, hopefully I'll try not to be too hurt. Me. I mean, when you were publishing tour dates and I saw that you were nowhere near Moscow, I, I was just thought <laughs> it's almost like yeah. you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> but me there's and some the great other venues, the gorge bands. <laughs> I know that Moscow, Idaho, is on everyone's way to everywhere. <laughs> So I don't understand oh, why man. you couldn't stop by. Uh, someday we'll get time. we'll get you back. We'll get you back. We yes. got you. We got you once, and I shouldn't be ungrateful. We got you the one time. We'll do it again. We'll get you again Definitely. for sure. Yeah. The uh, so Ghost of a King is a great intro, and then you have She Waits as a single is one of my favorites. Yeah, that's that a good album. Song. Um, well, what's the title of that album? It's called She Waits. That's yeah, what I so. thought. I was like, oh gosh, yeah. should I have a different title? Like no, that's the thing. That's that one's fantastic. And then Blue Flower. Is there are there any yep. others that are snuck in there that I've? That there I've are yeah. So we have we have. There's a couple others you can check in our history. Where Eyes Don't Go and Fire and Stone. Those are very early days. Great Havens. Right, right, but right. Those I would are the say other ones. Yeah, yeah. I would say the last three are most representative of of kind of where we've found our our sound. But right. um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the. They're all really good the update. they're really good and if you want to check just you know listen to our new bumper yeah <laughs> just start <laughs> I back love at it. The okay i just gotta ask before we sign off here are, did i hear correctly on a pod, are you working on a, a series called king david um i'm working on a series about king david not called okay. king david yes okay i am i and, am and i'm excited uh yeah okay. uh, need more news i will that. ask no more it's gonna be well it's uh it has been green lit. Yes. Has it really? It has. That's all I can say right now. Wow. Exciting. But, wow. But it has been. Are the scripts remote. all written? Uh, the first 10. So That's amazing. I wrote one, two, and 10. So. Wow. Yeah. Very fun. And Incredible exciting. Yeah, it is very, there's a lot of work left. There's a lot of work left to do, but I am very fond. Can you say if you're directing it? Uh, no, I can't say that. I don't expect to be. Um, okay. Because I expect to be he- – let's just put it this way. I expect to be heavily involved, but I don't okay. expect to be directing it because I don't think I should be. So I don't think – I want the – it's it's a big, giant swords and sandals thing, and I have no swords and sandals experience. So I expect to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. I would I would love to. Maybe Maybe by a later episode I could be directing it, but I'm definitely not feeling equipped to uh, or co-directing or helping um that could be involved show running producing um but uh 
co-directing i wouldn't i wouldn't want to try to even do that i think that i would be the wrong guy to to Mm. tap for that because i want it to be as excellent as possible and so what that means Mm. is those early episodes you need you really need a veteran um Mm. of that particular style of work so i'm i really do like it a lot and i really hope to like it a lot when it's all done (laughs) <laughs> that's how Can't i can't wait that's how i feel about every like book idea when i start i'm like i love this i hope i still love it in a year yeah so but yeah so that one i'm grinding on a couple others as well so there's a, there's a number of irons in the fire i've got um a chapter of uh ashton burial's book four just sitting here almost ready to go and i can't quite get there because i keep getting hit with new tv stuff i have to do or quick drafts or other things so it's, you know, there's writing to do. And I've got a nonfiction book to finish for Brian Cole, who's sitting right here. Ooh. He could rub in the fact that I've blown past that deadline. Like, man. What are deadlines anyway? What are They're deadlines? more like guidelines. <laughs> yes. Are they even those? Are they even guidelines? Deadlines are like yellow stripes painted on roads 50 years ago. There They're you just, go. Are they even there? Yeah. No. Um, so, yeah, I've got a nonfiction book to finish, and then I've got this novel to finish, and then I'll just be up to my eyeballs in... Uh, a bunch of tv work so exciting very, very excited and of course every tuesday i'll be hopefully talking to brian about the stories podcast. and soul food and occasionally talking to you david whenever you send me a heckling text saying but hey <laughs> but hey i have a question so standing invite whenever you want to kibitz or argue or just you know talk love it meanwhile everybody Will else do. buy his music do it now. Don't be one of those chumps. This is one of those personal things. Don't be one of those chumps who streams music. <laughs> Go buy his albums. I'm an artist. Yeah. I still buy albums. I do this. I do it on principle. And now, of course, it's very old school of me to go to iTunes and buy an album on iTunes. No, I know. I didn't know but, I was a chump, but here I am. Yes. Yes. <laughs> buy, buy the albums. Buy them. There you go. You heard it from me. There we go. It's like, well, thank you guys so much. Buy them. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, David. Until next time. Yeah, peace out, guys. Cheers. I wanted to thank you all for supporting the Stories or Soul Food podcast. And I also wanted to tell you about Canon Plus some more. In fact, we got a special offer just for Stories or Soul Food subscribers. Now, for a limited time, you can get a month subscription to Canon Plus for 99 cents with the code specially created for you guys by the Canon Plus team. The code is SASF99. Uh, So that is S-A-S-F-99. It only works if you're a first-time user, and it only works at mycanonplus.com. I want to tell you about some new soul food, which is on Canon Plus now. This is a new documentary from Rebecca Merkel called Even Exile, and it has already released just this month on May 6th. Becca is, of course, Nate's sister, and she's a friend of the Saspa podcast, or at least we assume she's a friend, because she was a guest on episode 12 back in the early days to talk about building a library for your kids. So uh, Becca's documentary Even Exile tells the story of the failure of feminism in America, basically how American feminists have tried to pull down their houses with their own hands. But it's not a shrill political commentary with a bunch of Twitter hot takes. It's actually an attempt to get a conversation started around a simple question. Feminism promised that everything would get better for American women. But 
women are unhappier than ever based on their historic use of antidepressants. So if feminism was a scam, the question is, what's next? That's where things get kind of fun. Becca points out that whether you're someone who thinks pantsuits look kind of cool or someone who thinks Little House on the Prairie styled jumpers are much better or someone who thinks they could go to a Regency era ball with Elizabeth Bennett and her sisters, every one of those people is making the same fundamental mistake. They're reading personal taste into the question of how we recover from feminism. So how do we reproach it? Christy and I watched the doc, and one thing that Becca says is that if she could choose any time to live in history, it would be this time. Yeah, we're standing in rubble, but that means we have an opportunity to rebuild from scratch, and that is pretty exciting. Anyways, Becca's doc gives inspirational guidance on the way forward for Christian women. As I said, it's only available on Canon+. Plus. One more time, let me mention the code. If you're a first-time Canon Plus subscriber, then you can get access to Canon Plus for just 99 cents with the code SASF99. That's at mycanonplus.com. Watch the documentary, listen to the Green Ember audiobooks, all our other children's books, sermons, podcasts, good old video resources. I think you'll really benefit from a Canon Plus subscription, and here's a chance for you guys to jump on it for just 99 cents. Please do check out Canon Plus.